1: Our scripture passage this morning is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 25 to 33, and that's page 850 in your pew Bible. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions.
0: I missed you last week. Uh, I'm grateful for John Aldrich's good preaching ministry. It gives me a lot of confidence when I need to be away. Last weekend I was in South Georgia performing uh, the wedding of my niece. And it was a great weekend. But I did end up in an orthopedic boot. You all have noticed. Thank you for asking. But I think I have sustained a wedding reception line dancing injury, uh, bone spur and bone fragment in my heel. I may have been the only person in history to go to urgent care uh, because of the electric slide, <laughs> but I am back uh, this Sunday for this month of stewardship emphasis. It's, it's been our tradition to spend the month of October Taking measure of our commitments to Jesus and His church, measuring our current discipleship against Jesus' shining expectations. And this year, we're gonna look at stewardship through the lens of our four church values discipleship, worship, missions, and community. And each of the four Sundays, we're gonna shine some light on how our commitments should make a difference or do make a difference in changing the world through love and changing our needy lives in the process. Today, you might have guessed from the challenging scripture reading that our focus is on discipleship. Wow, what a tough passage. The words of Jesus that call us to hate mama and sister it's been said that Jesus wouldn't make it as a local church pastor. Howard Thurman calls Jesus the most dangerous figure on the horizon of mortal man, and dangerous is not one of the words that usually comes up on the pastor profile survey. And Jesus apparently did not excel at church growth strategies either. I mean, he had a chance here, right? At the beginning of today's story, there are large crowds traveling with him. He's a hit. This is good promise for a church start. They had seen the miracles, they had heard the prophetic words challenging the powers of Rome. It's the peasants versus the power. I want in on that movement. Large crowds. AND BESIDES HE RADIATES ENERGY. HE'S THE MOST FULLY ALIVE PERSON ANY OF THEM HAS EVER SEEN. AND THEIR LIVES, LIKE OURS, HAVE BEEN LIVED IN BITS, TEMPORARY PURSUITS AND FADS AND THIS YEAR'S HOBBIES AND MAYBE A NEW BOAT. But this man lives with purpose and fire. And there are large crowds traveling with him. And they're not really even sure where he's going. I mean, is it a march on power or a party or a festival or a carnival? Who knows? But they're enthusiastic. Signs and singing and walking and happy to be part of it all. Until Jesus ruins the mood. Every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. You can tell me later if you get the movie reference that comes from. Jesus turns to them and says, You're all part of a funeral procession and don't know it. Jesus is going somewhere all right. He's going to Jerusalem to die. And he tells them they might not know what they've signed up for. He turns back to the crowd and says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. See what I mean? If Jesus had been called to be a pastor of a local congregation, you all would have called a personnel committee meeting before dinner. Hate as it turns out, is a Semitic hyperbole. It's a figure of speech that was common then, not now. We don't use hate that way now. But in that day, it was a common way of stating a preference. You might say, I hate strawberry ice cream, but I like chocolate. Or, I love the Gulf Coast, but I hate the Atlantic beaches. It's hyperbole, a way of stating a preference. But still, let's not domesticate this too much. Let's let's not work the harshness down into submission and tame this lion into a kitten. Jesus is making a plain, personal, and disturbing claim on us. In the network of loyalties that define our lives, work and family and friendships, Jesus does not only claim priority, but also the kind of loyalty that redefines all other relationships. So he says, do this, orient your entire life of priorities, values, and pursuits around me, or go home. Jesus isn't looking for a crowd of tag-alongs. True commitment is going to cost something. I heard this story as true. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard it as true. A group of guys went together to a PGA Tour event, golf event. They are watching the pros hit balls to loosen up before they get out on the course. They are on the driving range. They are hitting one perfect shot after another. And and the guys are close enough to the ropes that separate from the driving range that the pros can hear the conversation. And unlike a tournament, when they're out there playing, it's okay to talk while they're hitting. And one of the guys says to his buddy, I'd give anything to hit a seven iron like that. Or hearing his comment, tour pro Fuzzy Zeller walks back to the rope where these guys are standing opens up his hands, and they are tape and calluses and open blisters. And he says, no, you wouldn't do anything to hit a seven iron like that. You wouldn't hit balls until your hands bleed and then tape them up and hit some more. You wouldn't do anything. Jesus said, you've got to do it all you've got to keep going. You've got to be willing to leave behind anything that's necessary to put down. Father, mother, sister, brother, life itself. I'm not going to a parade. I'm going to Jerusalem to carry a cross and being my disciple is going to cost you something and I'm not recruiting part-time disciples. Well, the crowd was enthusiastic at first, right? I mean, who doesn't love the miracles and the healings and the critic of the religious elite? But Jesus says, you better count the cost before you sign up. And then he tells them two short parables. If you were going to build a tower, you'd estimate whether or not you've got enough building materials, right? Otherwise, you go build half of it and be the laughing stock of the neighborhood because people are going to see your half-built structure that you couldn't bring to completion. You've got to count the cost before you start something like that. Then he says, what kind of king who had an army of 10,000 people looking at going up against another nation of, with an army of 20,000 people wouldn't count the cost of that? I mean, wouldn't He rather think about a peaceable negotiation? You count the cost before you enter into anything. And if you want to be my disciple, you can't follow me unless you are willing to give up all your possessions and your current set of priorities. And are you sure you want to do this? Either all in or go home. It sounds hard. Sounds harsh. We prefer the Jesus who takes the little children into his lap. The one who forgives the woman caught in adultery. The one who preaches grace and forgiveness. We really have domesticated Jesus, haven't we? Jesus seems so in alignment with our American middle class aspirations Like Jesus came to co-author the book of morals and teach etiquette classes and lead capitalism seminars. Like Jesus wants more nice people who keep neat yards and let the youth group use his lake house. And Howard Thurman called Jesus the most dangerous figure on the horizon of mortal man. And we have dismissed his radical side and elected him president of the PTA. But it's the same Jesus, right? I mean, this is the most integrated man in human history. How can the Prince of Peace, the healer of humanity, be the same integrated self who turns to the Tagalongs and says, if you don't hate mama, carry your cross and give up all your stuff, you can't come with me. How is it that the man who said, come unto me, all of you who are labor and who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, is demanding an unrelenting life of sacrifice? Sometimes you have to speak loudly if you want to be heard over the noise. Hyperbole. Jesus is not trying to discourage us from following Him. Instead, He's trying to keep us from drowning in shallow water. The only way to life abundant is loyal discipleship to the author of life abundant. Not kinda. The alternative to a life of discipleship is regret. Jesus is not an add on like a gym membership. Jesus is the singular focus of your devotion or go home and buy another purse and hope the hunger goes away. In a world of entangled alliances we are prone to follow a while and dabble a while and Diet a while and try this for a while and then read the latest People magazine and quit. Then get up for a while and chase the next shiny thing for a while. And in the end, we've lived a life that's not really living The life of faith is not a supplement, not dispensed like a vitamin to help with the digestion of what real life hands out. Discipleship is a full-on reorientation to the truth that Jesus has come to bring life and bring it more abundantly. And we monitor our church life, and our work life, and our family life, and our citizenship, and every relationship and loyalty against Jesus' call to follow me. Because divided loyalties lead to weak living. Jesus said, follow me. And anybody who says follow me is going somewhere. JESUS IS WORKING A PLAN TO SAVE HUMANITY. HE'S LIVING A PURPOSE AND HAS RECRUITED US FOR THIS BIG ENTERPRISE OF SHOWING THE WORLD HOW TO LOVE. FOLLOW ME, BE MY DISCIPLES. HE'S MAKING THESE HIGH BAR COMMANDS BECAUSE HE LOVES US THAT MUCH. HE DOESN'T WANT US TO SUFFER, BUT TO FEEL ALIVE. And his way is the way to life abundant. He knows, he knows that a life that is fumbled without purpose leads to regret. And his way leads to fulfillment. In Ann Tyler's novel, The Amateur Marriage, Michael is an 80-year-old man. He's looking back over his somewhat vanilla life. He's made some mistakes. He's avoided big moral failures. He never cheated anyone. He never actively mistreated anybody. He made his bed, tied his shoes, went to work. But still at age 80, he had all kinds of regret. And he said that he wishes, and I'm quoting, he had inhabited more of his life, used it better, Filled it fuller. Jesus knows how we can live our lives better and fill it fuller, which is exactly the discipleship call that he's making, the claim he's putting on our lives today. Whenever there's a death in the church, Vicki in my office prints out a, a copy of the obituary. And puts it on my desk. It's part of me starting a file, preparations for leading a funeral. And sometimes when I get that, I'll read other obituaries on the page. I know that's a weird professional quirk. I mean, who reads obituary? But I read the obituary. I wish I could tell you that this form of an obituary were uncommon, but it is sadly too normal. Now think about it. The family is charged by the word. How do you capture a life charged by the Word to speak to its unique virtue and contribution on this earth? And far too often, the obituary reads something like this. Norman loved muscle cars and especially his 1968 GTO that was his pride and joy. He loved good barbecue and his frequent trips to Panama City Beach where he would enjoy deep sea fishing and time with friends. And Jesus weeps because another life was drowned in the shallow end. Lives lived in search of barbecue and baubles and not live for a purpose that is bigger than we are always ends in regret. And not all of the crowd was willing to follow all the way to Jerusalem. But when Jesus says, follow me, it's because he's going somewhere. He's going to change the world. And the most fulfilled lives are lived by people who abandon all other allegiances if they stand in the way of joining Jesus in the dangerous places where joy lives. The question is whether or not we are going to keep following all the way to Jerusalem or pack up and go home. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Pontstallia Baptist Church.